0: Hi church, Pastor John here. Hope you had a great Christmas Eve. What a wonderful time we had being together. Hey, today, this weekend, I'm really excited. Our campus pastors
1: are all gonna be teaching, and I was thinking about something. We are all really into the Broncos right now, and most of the time we're thinking about Peyton Manning and how he's gonna do. He's a great quarterback, no doubt about it, but he's surrounded by a great team, and without a great team, you do not win anything including a Super Bowl, which we're gonna win this year. Yeah, so I want you to welcome my team this weekend, your campus pastor, give it up for these guys. They're gonna do a great job. Good morning. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, I feel like I've been gone for a while and that's because we just had our fifth kid, uh, Joel Elias. And um, Yes, yeah, thank you. I'm going to uh, tell you guys a little bit about that um, here in, in just a little bit, kind of at the end of the message. But um, uh, how many of you guys brought your Bible to church? Electronic copy, real book. We got, okay, that's a good percentage. That's a bigger percentage than what i thought okay i need i need a volunteer uh that would like to read the passage of scripture that is uh printed on the notes but the qualification is is that you must have your bible and i want you to come on up here and read it from a bible anybody want to volunteer michael all right okay so jeff i'm going to turn this back on you guys know michael right All right. So he may tell us your translation, and then you guys can follow along in your Bible or in the notes, um, and uh, then we're going to go from there. So we got Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. What translation do you have? King James Version. Wow. There you go.
0: (laughs) And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, take you 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them saying, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. What what, verse? Through nine. Through nine. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up, every man of you, a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day.
1: All right, thank you so much. Give him a hand for being strong and courageous, just like Joshua. Um, Okay, so we're going to get to that. And uh, for those of you guys on this side, you can kind of see a small stack of stones. Some of you guys, it's like blocked by this lantern because uh, these are representative of the stones that they took out of the Jordan. But if you uh, read that uh, verse that Michael just just read and then later on, uh, they actually carried them on their shoulders. So uh, if you're in charge of a whole tribe of Israel and you come back with a rock that looks like this, you're going to be mocked the rest of your life, right? Right. So this is just a representation. I'm sure those men, uh, just like men today, would try to herk the biggest rock out of the muddy depths of the Jordan. So, um, but before we get to that, I want to set the scene of uh, what was happening that caused them to pick up these stones and place them uh, on top of each other as uh, and build them into a pillar as um, a mark of remembrance. And so um, you guys know the story about the Israelites. They were held captive in Egypt for 430 years, and then Moses came to their rescue and the plagues and the story of the Exodus and crossing the Red Sea, and then they get into um, the wandering in the desert and they wander for almost 40 years just five days short of 40 years and then Moses dies along with his whole generation and the nation is left uh, looking at Joshua to be their leader. But the problem is, is that what stands before them, between them and their promises that God has uh, spoke unto them, that their ancestors had pleaded with them to go back to this land, the route that they took caused them that they needed to enter into the promised land, heading west, crossing over the Jordan River. Now, if it was just you and your family, it's okay, and it wouldn't be that big of a deal, because even back then, there were fords set up. There was a place where you could cross the river, and it would probably looked a lot like um, a Tom Sawyer raft. It was uh, maybe some trunks of trees that were uh, cut down and whittled and then tethered together with rope or twine or whatever it was, and you would cross that way. But you would only cross maybe a few people at a time. Um, Maybe there was a certain raft that had fences on it or something that could get um, a uh, uh, a cow or a goat or something like that across. But what do you do when you have more than a million people stuck at the side of the river? And, to complicate things, it was during the high season, the flood season of the Jordan. So, Right now, some of you guys have probably seen pictures, maybe some of you guys have actually been to Israel and seen the Jordan River. There's places where you can get baptized in the Jordan River. Well, um, right now, there is flowing through the Jordan River 300 million um, cubic feet of water annually. Now, that is one-tenth of what the Jordan River was when the Israelites stood at its banks needing to cross. 3 billion cubic feet of water flowing annually, but in in the 1950s, just after Israel became a nation, they began to industrialize and modernize that nation, and so they began to siphon off the water from that river. Does that make sense? There were dams put in place, there were uh, places where it would go off and be used agriculturally, and so now the Jordan River, even at flood stage, is much less than what it was. This was a raging river that they came up to. Now, let's set the picture in our minds. The whole nation is there. They need to get across. They want to get across. They've been told about this promised land since they were infants. And now they're looking and they can see the promised land. It's a hundred feet away because at flood stage, it's probably a hundred feet across, overflowing its banks, and 10 feet deep. Well, the best swimmers here, maybe some of you guys love swimming in the pool and you think, well, the deep end of a pool is really only 10 feet deep. No big deal. Well, think of your pool, neighborhood pool, rec center pool, and think of it being 10 feet deep all the way across and you're thinking, okay, I could navigate that. Now imagine that pool as a mighty rushing river where water is gurgling through this and then the best swimmer in this room might go, okay, well, Maybe I could get across. I'll just start here and aim for downstream, and maybe there's a soft beach over there. And so I'll know that the river is just gonna carry me, the current's gonna take me there. Okay, fair enough. So you get across. What about the rest of us? (laughs) What about your spouse? What about your children? What about your cattle and your sheep and your goats? What about all of those things? What about the things that you've piled in a bag that you've carried uh, for 40 years through the desert? Are you now going to leave that there and start over completely poor and desolate and have nothing in a new promised land where you know that there's enemies that are going to attack? And speaking of enemies, are they going to stand at the banks and watch us try to navigate this and muster an army so that just as we cross, soaking wet, a little bit disoriented, maybe some are further downstream than the rest of us, and then we're going to fight a battle? So now the crossing put into that perspective takes on a whole lot more significance, right? So they get there, and Joshua is told by the Lord that they're going to cross. Now, what what he's told in this in this passage, let me go back. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can um, take the time to um, turn to it. So it looks like I'm going fast, turning to this. I've probably told most of you guys here, uh, this is my new Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Study Bible. And I absolutely love it. It is amazing, but um, it's not as quick getting to places um, literally and physically as it is uh, technically. So, okay, so I'm going to read Joshua chapter three. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you must break camp and follow it but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark don't go near it so that you can see the way to go for you haven't traveled this way before so again here's here's the story we as common people are in this camp wondering what our leader Joshua is going to do And then Joshua tells his commanding officers, I want you to go through the camp and tell them, hey, get ready, and when you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, I want you to pick up your stuff, and I want you to go. And and when they did, they got to the bank of the Jordan, and Joshua addressed the people at that point there. I don't know how you address a million people at a time, but word spreads, and so everybody's kind of wondering what's going on at the bank of this river. And then what we see, and what the passage tells us, is that the priests are to take this box carried on poles and they're supposed to go from these flooding banks and walk down, and maybe these steps are kind of representative of how these priests are carrying this box. If you've ever carried something like this, you know how you have to kind of coordinate it. And then you add water and mud and reeds to the equation. You can imagine these guys kind of slowly looking at each other going, okay, we don't want to drop this, and we don't want to get swept away, so are we going to do this? But then the Word of God says this, that as soon as the soles of their feet... We're in the water. The water got swept back upstream, back up to a city called Adam. Some uh, of the researchers think that it's as, as far as 30 miles away, some as close as 12 miles away, but we're talking so far that you can't see it. Kind of the image that we get from their parents crossing the Red Sea is kind of like two walls of water, right, at the Red Sea. But the image here is that the water going downstream continues to go downstream, but the water that's upstream from them is stopped up somewhere upstream where they can't see it. So let me come onto your side of the Jordan, okay? All of us are here, and we want to cross the Jordan. Now we're going west in our mind. Okay, and so the water is traveling from the north going south. So we've all packed up our stuff and we've come to the bank of this Jordan River and it's rushing down like this and we're about to cross. Think about what you'd be feeling at that moment. Thinking about your family. I've got five kids. Okay, I don't know how many goats and cows I have at that moment, but I know that my hands are full. My hands are full now, right? Those of you that are changing diapers, you you already know. Actually, we'd probably not be first in line, right? We'd probably be like 10 minutes late, right? (laughs) So we're tardy, but some of you guys are up here, and you're ready to go. But you're thinking through this, okay, what's going to happen? And then you see those priests walk out, and the water, just way up there totally gone. Now, there's security if there's a wall of water, right? If there's an invisible wall of water, you can kind of glance at it and know, hey, it's it's there, and there's something miraculous taking place, and so I'm going to dare to do this. But if you can't even see it, maybe it's around the corner, maybe there's a hill or something, you don't know when it's going to come, and it's not like they belong to a rec center where they got to practice swimming every once in a while, right? These guys don't swim, they just don't we know that their kids don't we know that their animals don't so put ourselves here what are we doing am I going to go first Sarah are you going to go first Mickey are you going to go first what, who's, who's going to go first do we dare do it Michael will probably go first <laughs> but now if you do go what side of the Ark of the Covenant are you going to go on The downstream side, right? (laughs) Because if the water comes, you're going to hope that maybe it will stop right there. So we're all going to kind of go around this way. It's a daring moment right there, and I think before we get to the point of recognizing the significance of the rocks, we have to recognize the significance of the crossing. And too often, I think, we live in this Moment where we recognize the calling and the promises of God for our lives, for our families, for our jobs, for our future. But it's scary to actually take that step of faith, right? Because it's risking everything. It's risking not just us personally, but all the people that we're connected with, family and friends. Are we really going to do this? The Hebrew word there for dry ground doesn't necessarily mean that it's not muddy. So when you're crossing through something and about to reach the promises of God for your life and it starts getting messy, know that that's kind of how it's always been for the people of God. Terra firma, the the Latin side of that, it doesn't mean dry and dusty ground. It just means dry enough to stand on. It means the absence of rushing water. So that's all that's really promised there. Us losing a sandal or two might happen along the way. But would you trade a sandal for the promises of God? But sometimes we stay here looking at each other going, "Uh, boy, that makes me uncomfortable. Let's put it in the context of worship. Sometimes it's uncomfortable just to lift your hand. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to get on your face before God. Sometimes we run out of time for those things. So, we stand there at the bank of the Jordan and we wonder who's going to go first or is the promise of God going to last? You know, the the interesting thing, studying this, um, the city of Adam is a place where the the hills come close to the Jordan River at one of the locations that they think this city was, and it actually has a history of mudslides and landslides, and so the the last one that happened was actually in 1927, and the Jordan River was actually completely cut off for 21 hours. Isn't that crazy? Well, Evan, that minimizes the miracle of this story. No, it doesn't. Because we have a God that can use the natural for the supernatural, right? And think about this. So there was a landslide. And say the Jordan was cut off for 21 hours approximately. (laughs) Well, what sort of divine providence would have to get over a million people, a budding nation, to that exact location on that exact day and have them totally prepared and then to put the foot of the priests into the water and that's exactly where and when it stops flowing? I'll accept that as a miracle just as much as vanishing water or a wall of water or anything else. That's pretty amazing, huh? It happened another time that's recorded in ancient history at around 1300 B.C. So it doesn't happen all too often. But maybe it did happen three times. So are we going to do this? Well, let's teach our way through this because I think when we read a passage of Scripture or a couple chapters, um, the thing that we should just do is say, okay, God, what, what did this mean to those people? And I think that's what we kind of laid down here. But let's go a step further and say, okay, what does that mean to us? Well, Joshua tells his commanding officers to go throughout the whole camp and say, hey, when you see the Ark of the Covenant moving towards the banks of the river, I want you to get up and follow it. What does that mean for us? When you sense or see or feel or hear the presence of God, get up and follow it. Let's not be a type of people that senses the presence of God and is too comfortable to do anything about it. Let's be the type of people that we see that move in an instant and we're like let's go, let's go. You know what it takes to get out of my house right now with five kids? It is craziness. We have to be like 20 minutes ahead of schedule if we're going to be on time. We were late for Christmas going over to my parents' house. Let's hurry through the necessary preparations. Let's have bags packed and ready to go. So what does that look like? Does that look like a, a CD in your car or a worship uh, CD or DVD? You know, I found, I found a DVD. Um, it's called uh, Will Reagan and the United Pursuit Band, I think. It's called Live at the Banks House or something like this. Just uh, a bunch of young adults get together and they just happen to record this um, worship time. And my in-laws brought it over and it was just on and and I stopped. And then my daughter came and stopped and we looked at it and it was just the presence of God so thick on that. When you find that and the presence of God is pulling you into something, don't turn it off. Don't hustle. Don't, Don't ignore that. When you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, get up and follow it. Go as quickly as you can. So, Here they are, they're going through this and they're crossing, and I don't know which one of us ended up going first. Maybe it's Michael, maybe it's a crowd of us, but eventually all of us are going. Now, if you're the priest, and you and three, four, five other guys holding this thing, you're in the middle of this. Maybe as these people are traipsing through, getting a whole crowd of people across that maybe your sandals are starting to sink deeper and you're shifting your weight and you're kind of being a little bit impatient and you're looking at these people and they're scared and they're racing across the bible says that they hastened across that means they felt just like you and i would i mean mark gets that go You lose a sandal you're not going back for it and the priests are like yeah you better hurry because I'm standing in the middle of this thing I don't know I've never done this before let's get moving right so they're ready to go and then everybody gets across and then Joshua tells those 12 leaders I want you to go back right to where the priests are and pick up these rocks and so the priests are like come on man come on and they're fighting over the biggest rocks and they're putting them on their shoulders and they're trudging through this muddy river bank right well, I was reading through that, and I thought about those priests. And this was the verse that came to mind. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is a guy who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, had his ups, had his downs, and now he's writing to a bunch of people outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem in modern-day Turkey. He says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hold on a second. So if we attach ourselves to this verse then we have just identified ourselves in this story, not as just the people that are trying to get across the banks of the Jordan. But we are the people who are carrying the very presence of God, courageous enough to put our foot out first, courageous enough to stand in the middle of this, not knowing when or if this water is going to race around the corner and come barreling through. So that puts into perspective our role, our occupation here on this earth, right? That when we bump into over this holiday season relatives and friends, family members, acquaintances and we recognize something in them that tells us that they have not yet crossed into the promises of God for their life then what's our role? Intercession. Because those priests interceded. They took that first step. They stood in the gap. They stood on the upward side of the stream as the whole nation hastened across. Can we be a people who have been ourselves called out of darkness, receiving the mercies, and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Can we be a type of people who doesn't just wander into this side and pick out a plot of land that is like, oh, dibs, I got this one. This one's awesome. This one's already got trees. This one's got a mountain view. This one's close to water. This one's lush and green, whatever it is. And we're off and on our way. Or are we a type of people that go, you know what? My inheritance, just like the Levites, is not in the physical land. My inheritance is the Lord. My inheritance is is that I get to stay closest to the presence of God all my life. But my role is to get everybody else on the other side. Does that make sense? So, I thought, even though on your notes it only has Joshua chapter 4, it's hard for me to... pick a little portion of a story. I like to tell stories and like to set the context and the history of it so that you understand when they got across and those 12 men carried those huge stones on their shoulder, Joshua was doing that to say, hey, something amazing happened here. Something Amazing in the history of our nation, but something that will be shared and talked about throughout all what would become known as Christianity because they are us and we are them. And so they stack up these 12 stones and Joshua says, hey, I want you to do this so that when your children see this, they say, why is this there? And you tell them, it's because the Lord brought you across the Jordan. One of my commentaries noted the fact that the word there is actually you. So when we as parents are telling our kids who were not born at that point, we're actually supposed to still tell them, the Lord brought you across the Jordan. The Lord did this for you So, think through all the victories that the Lord has brought you through in your life. You were once a slave, and now you've been set free. You were once held captive, and now you've been redeemed. Those victories are not just your victories, those victories are generational victories. Your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren, all are participants in the victories that you win. When you cross the Jordan, you don't just do it for yourself. You do it for future generations. So is there something, an area in your life where you have yet to cross the Jordan? Maybe there's fear holding you back. Maybe there's sin that's holding you back. Maybe there's trepidation or maybe there's just not uh, enough relational connectivity where you look across and you stand shoulder to shoulder and you grab somebody's hands and you go, okay, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. You get across. You gain victory. That's not just yours. That's your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, your friends, your family. We're all in this together. So we decided that we would look back on 2014 and and kind of label some of the rocks at JFC and here and personally and kind of do this as a an example for what all of us can do personally. And so what I'm going to share with you is these are some of the things that happened at JFC that we don't always get a chance to share. We don't always get a chance to talk our way through this. But if we were going to take some rocks and stack them up as a church, and I want to remind you, you guys are the 9 o'clock service at one of four locations. If you were at Christmas Eve, you saw the breadth of this church. There were 1,500 seats set out for three services, and they were packed, all of them. Um, So sometimes I get to see it because I'm part of all the teams. But it's hard when we're just in one service to go, well, I remember that one time we baptized one person after this one thing. Well, that's part of something that's happening uh, that's much bigger. So let's go through this. Back in May, um, just before Memorial Day, We had an event called Life Day. Maybe some of you guys showed up to church here. We canceled services, um, and there was a bunch of people that actually showed up here, even though we announced it for like eight straight weeks. But you don't listen to the video announcements anyways. Well, if you were there, you saw that there were two horse troughs set up after we packed a football stadium, Shea Stadium down near Highlands Ranch. We packed it out, had awesome worship. John preached a, a short message, and then we went back into worship and we baptized people. I got uh, to be in charge of one of the tanks, and we baptized cumulatively 140 people in one day. That's pretty awesome. That's a big rock to put on your shoulder and carry out of the river and say, "Man, something happened." And fast forward to Easter, we gave away 300 salvation packets on Easter. 300. Now let's just let's just be. Uh, Pragmatic or pessimistic, and just say, "Yeah, but Evan, those are just salvation packets." And who do you, you know, what do you know? Let's divide that in half. Then 150, 150 people that crossed the Jordan on Easter and said, "Hey, I'm leaving my wanderings back there, and I'm coming into the promises of God." Well, let's say half of them turned away. That's still 75 people into the kingdom of God, right? I'm sick of being pessimistic. Okay. (laughs) We had 14 services that day. 14 services and over 5,000 people attended church. In the discipleship realm, we took major steps in discipleship. Lakewood leading the way as we launched life groups. Gary and Paula Ellerman have been Significant here on the third row, helping me to do that. We launched 20 groups, um, and we're pushing JFC into uh, that um, purpose. Giving we uh, the team that went to Israel took forty-one thousand uh, dollars that was raised here to give away to our to our partners uh, in Israel, Jews specifically, um, and Messianic um, ministries. Um, missions giving $424,000 missions, 54 countries were impacted either by uh, JFC teams or long term missionaries or projects 8 short term teams uh, left here and went overseas, 8 teams Um, $20,000 if you remember when Paul Childers was a guest speaker here $20,000 was given he talked very briefly about the churches in Nigeria that are being burned down by Muslims And $20,000 was given to build four uh, churches, to rebuild them. What a statement of faith is that? Yeah, you can burn our church down. We're just going to go somewhere, get money, and build it back up again. How'd you like to be that? How'd you like to just stay right there and go, burn it down, I'm going to build it back up. Burn it down again, I'm going to build it back up. And I'm going to take people from the other side of the Jordan and bring them into the promises of God. That's awesome. 145 people went on on short-term missions. Um, There was the Estes Park Flood Relief, that family that lost their house up in Estes Park. JFC raised $50,000 to help them rebuild their house. It's going to be done in 2015. Holiday outreaches. Here at this campus, we had an amazing outreach. It's still going on. Um, We connected with Open Door Ministries, that in itself, that relationship with Open Doors deserves a rock um, in and of itself. Angel Tree and Operation Christmas Child, you guys who took angels, brought back uh, gifts, you guys who took shoeboxes and brought them back for Operation Christmas Child, you guys were part of over 1,500 gifts that JFC put together and delivered. And if you've ever seen that, I... Last year, I got to deliver the angel tree uh, ones to um, an apartment just over here. Uh, got welcomed into their home. A very difficult situation. Those are situations where one of the spouses is currently in prison. You're delivering a gift from that person in prison on their behalf. Um, and then Operation Operation Christmas Child. I've been in Zambia when those shoe boxes have been delivered. To kids in Africa. That is awesome. You'll never forget it if you get a chance to be a part of that. That's Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's organization. um, That is awesome. The best part is when they open it up and there's socks inside the shoebox and they look at it and they're like, what is this? (laughs) A bunch of African kids running around in bare feet, you know, um, toothbrushes. They have no idea what that is. 130 people became new members of JFC this year just recently a bunch of them at the Lakewood campus we had men's and ladies conferences Um, we had um, youth camp that uh, pastor David told us about kids camp Um, and in all of those we had salvations that took place all of those things that it's great you say okay Evan so so what you have these events you have these outreaches you have this all this all this stuff What I'm concerned about is, are we doing stuff that's getting people saved? Are we doing stuff that's pulling people out of darkness and into the light? And I think as we stack these rocks and look back over 2014, the answer is clearly a resounding yes. And you guys are part of that. Your attendance, your participation, your volunteering, your giving, all of that helps us to be able to stack rocks and keep doing this. So, We say all of that just as an example for us as we go into the typical New Year's resolution. Sometimes we look forward more than we look back, right? Sometimes it's hard to be told by Joshua, hey, now that you're across, I want you to go back into the middle of it and pull a rock out. Some of the things that you, me, all of us have gone through this year have not been great. I can scan the audience right now and know stories um, that if we all were handed this mic, we would all be in tears very quickly. But I think the scripture tells us that we should maybe, if not physically, mentally and spiritually, go back into the thick of that through which we've crossed and pull something out of it. Don't let it just be, hey, I got through it. Hey, ah, I got through another year. Hey, we made it. Let's be people that go back into the thick of it and pull something out of it. Name it. Call it what it is. Write it down someplace. What we have at both of these crosses in the back, and as we go back into worship here in just a couple of minutes, there's river rock, not as big as this, but big enough to fit in your pocket or throw in your car and there's sharpies back there. What we've thought of and you don't have to do it but I would encourage you if that is something that will help it to stick. On one side of it write a word or a name or a verse about 2014 praising God for what he took you through, got you through. And then on the other side of it write something, maybe a word or a short phrase or a Bible verse for 2015 something that you're believing God for because we can look back and say that God got me through this but we can also look forward and go man now there's a bunch of enemies that I need to fight right so um, as I close and the worship team can come on forward and help me um, tell this story quicker this is this is a glimpse into my life personally in 2014 We had the advantage of actually naming a child this year. So instead of writing it on a rock or putting it in a journal, I get to actually put a name on a person. And so we we chose Joel Elias, and this is what it means. Joel is a name that means um, he is one who believes that the Lord is God, that Yahweh or Jehovah is God. And then Eleos is Greek and it means mercy. And if you were here the last time I got to preach, um, I told you that I learned something about the word mercy. That uh, in the roots of that through the Greek, it actually means faithfully loyal. That mercy is not just God being courteous to us. Just excusing our wrongdoings. But it's God being faithful to us when we're unfaithful and it's God being loyal to us when we're not loyal. But then you go back into the minor prophet of Joel and Joel is the guy who basically proclaimed as he called the nation to repentance, called them to turn back to God. He's the guy that said this. One day one day there's not just going to be a prophet here and a prophet there not just somebody who senses the presence of God here and proclaims it over here but one day thus says the Lord I'm going to pour out my spirit on all mankind your sons and your daughters they're going to be the ones that prophesy not just some holier than thou prophet but all of us And he says it almost redundantly just to prove his point, that even your male servants and your female servants, they will receive the Spirit of the Lord and they too will prophesy. Put that into context. Where females were discredited, pushed to the side. Slaves weren't people, they were just property. And he calls the lowest of the low And says, I look forward to that one day when the Lord is going to pour out his presence and make it available to all mankind. That's Joel chapter 2. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. A bunch of people who have just followed Jesus for three and a half years, some of them. Jesus is now gone. He ascended. He, He was crucified, risen. Now he's ascended and a bunch of people sitting around in a room. Praying, but not knowing what's happening or what they're going to do. And all of a sudden, the presence of God overtakes all of them. They start talking in crazy language. Peter stands up. And what does he say to the crowd that's gathered down below hearing this commotion? He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So my proclamation in 2014... When I dealt with things like a blood clot personally and other issues that probably don't even hold a candle to some of the things that you guys have gone through, but in the midst of that, I proclaim this. Joel Elias. The Lord is God. And that God is faithfully loyal. And that God is a God who doesn't just choose people. He chooses all of us makes his presence known to all of so, us. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we accept that, God. We desire to walk across the Jordan. We desire to walk into the promises of God for our life. God, help us now as we decide to do that. God, we know that we can only do that as you fill us with your presence, pour out your spirit upon us. But God, help us also to recognize that we've been called into a royal priesthood. So it's our job to carry your presence into the thick of it, into the muddy mess of it, and help people get across. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.